1: Welcome to Know Your Options, the measured risk podcast. The ultimate guide to navigating the volatile nature of the markets while managing risk purposefully. Join us as we challenge the theory behind traditional asset allocation and dive into the mathematics of investing. Whether you are a seasoned investor or just starting out, this podcast offers valuable insights and practical advice to help you make informed decisions and manage your money wisely. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's dive into the world of calculated risks together. Hi. Well, my name is Larry Kriesmer. Welcome to our show, Know Your Options podcast. My guest today is Rory Henry, and he's a, let's call it a visionary in the area (laughs) of uh, all things wealth management, technology, accounting, and uh, predominantly, let's say, behavioral finance and understanding human behavior. So welcome to the show today, Rory.
0: Thank you for the warm
1: introduction,
0: Larry. I appreciate that. (laughs)
1: You bet, you bet. So I, I was fascinated. I think um, I have a pretty good handle on uh, behavioral finance, but in the brief readings I've done that you've sort of shared, you, you take a much deeper approach. And so maybe you could share how you came to maybe using that maybe as your true north or your compass and how you kind of. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll try
0: about. to get us. Yeah. I'll try to get us there. I started out in the tax business and around 2016, Larry, I developed a tax practice management technology to help bring that into the, the tax business or the accounting business into the 21st century with CRM, document management, IRS transcript transcript delivery system. Just because if you work with your your tax repairer and you look at their screen when they're doing the tax return, it looks like an MS DOS, um, really, right? 1998 <laughs> type interface. Right. And so these legacy platforms, the intuits of the world, the Walters Kluwer just didn't have a need to innovate. They were the incumbents and nobody was coming in there. So I developed tech tax technology around the same time. There was a, another firm out there that built something similar and they went through like 77 million in uh, venture capital money. And so when I went out to the the venture capitalists, they said, Rory, uh, sounds like a good idea, but it looks like these incumbents will be hard to dethrone. (laughs) So I ended up um, actually, hooking up with our CEO at Airroot Family Office, Rob Santos. And we are an RIA and we are a family office, Larry, in the sense that we manage our own finances as well as high net worth families. And then we're a big believer in the transformative power of technology. So, really, to provide our family office level of service to, is to the ultra affluent as well as the everyday client. So, I fell in love with this concept of a family office and i saw where technology was going and we were able to really connect these professional services tax accounting wealth management insurance estate planning in an authentic modern way that provide for the the many needs of the client so i developed a a program that helps educate partner with cpa and accounting firms on how to integrate holistic wealth management or what i call our virtual family office model into their practice and then as you mentioned, I geek out on behavioral finance. I absolutely love it. Uh, I believe it is the future of advice, really providing that deeper, more meaningful relationship and conversation with a client to help them uncover what matters most to them. So it's my long way to get to the behavioral <laughs> finance answer, Larry. Well,
1: mm-hmm. I think there's a. It's super important to have that as the anchor, uh, some sort yeah. of uh, guidepost for, for any relationship between a consultant and their client. And you could probably extend this to virtually any business line, That ultimately, we're, if we're being hired to manage something uh, or right. to create something, we're, we're doing it to solve a problem for the person who's doing it with us. And we have to really be clear that both of us are trying to solve the same problem. Uh, because if if I'm trying to solve problem A and my and my customer is trying to get problem B solved, B solved, yeah. I may be doing a hell of a job on solving problem A, but it doesn't do any good <laughs> if, if and they're looking for for problem,
0: problem B. For problem a.
1: So I mean that's really, really important. Um do you when you say you have developed a program, is this something like a Uh, educational
0: program or a software program that you put into
1: a computer and download and run or what is it?
0: (laughs) Well, I did have that software venture that uh, ended up being halted. So I'm a little uh, averse to doing technology again. So what I was able to do, so we have thought leadership, we have a a bunch of content that we produce that is educational material. And then I have put together some of the best in breed when it comes to software solutions in each of these professional services uh, types of business lines. So the tax accounting, wealth management, and the financial planning aspect, estate planning. Um, So I I was able to get them uh, to really give us the ability to, to showcase their platforms. And then we show the CPAs, the accounting firms, how, how to put that all together, package it, and communicate it to the client.
1: Yeah. You know, we wouldn't expect, um, a CPA firm to be, to suddenly be able to do, let's say advisory right. services and then sort of a traditional role in IRA space, do you act as the back office for them then and provide yeah. those services? And they, they act as sort of the primary relationship driver. Is that what you're trying to?
0: Correct. <laughs> but- yeah. We basically act as the back-end family office and we work mm-hmm. together uh, with those clients in that relationship. But I, you know, I don't think people give CPAs and, and tax professionals, enough credit out there. They just went through a Navy seal of training when it came to government programs. Think of the PPP, the EIDL, many people's first financial responder is that CPA, that accounting professional. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing this evolution, Larry, in the profession from going, from being a reporter of the past, recorder of the past, to now providing more future facing services and over the last decade or so with cloud technology, these accounting firms have gone uh, on to start doing more business advisory. So financial projection and analysis, the real-time data feeds with the with the banks have allowed them to really tap into small and medium sized businesses and give them valuable advice to grow their businesses. And so they're just a small step away. Yes, we guide them along the process. Um, but they're just a small step away from integrating the personal financial planning, the wealth management, the insurance, the estate planning, being more holistic because mm-hmm. these two professions should be working with each other. Taxes, in well, fact, no, investments. in my
1: experience, uh, it's a, it's a, you know, hand in hand relationship because there are plenty of ideas that we might bring to a client that we, we really have to have a CPA yeah. or their tax advisor weigh in on to make sure that we haven't missed anything um, in the whole process. So how do you, I mean, do you have, you know, again, I'm just going to go from personal experience. You have some CPAs that just feel like any kind of crossing <laughs> over in that bridge is just going to be a complete moral, you know, abandonment of ethics. And yes. You can't do
0: it. yes, and we get not, a
1: lot of that. It's yeah. not the case then, right? I mean, there's nothing prohibiting anything like that from happening, correct?
0: No, no, no. So there was the perceived conflict of interest. Obviously, if you do audit work and testation, test uh, you can't do um, what we're doing here. But I would say it's becoming incre- as as the, the profession uh, is starting to see greater adoption of the future-facing or the business advisory services over the last decade, they're now starting to see the opportunity with the wealth management. I mentioned before we got on air here, there's a wealth management firm that just bought an accounting firm uh, that has revenues of $100 million. So they're seeing this integrated model. And we're seeing the most success with a lot of times the older uh, accounting professional and then a younger one coming in there who may be taking over the business, they see that opportunity uh, to provide more value to the clients. But I think my just my personal view, uh, Larry, I think it's a conflict of interest not to have these services integrated. Or working in collaboration with each other.
1: Well, I think you know, in, in our RIA business, there are conflicts of interest and it's our obligation as the right. fiduciary to identify them and disclose them and then right. do our best to act independently of that conflict. So I, I think it's perfectly fine to recognize that there may be a conflict of interest. Right. Just disclose it. Everybody that. in the room knows what it is and we're looking correct. out for, you know, bad behavior. So correct. I, I don't think there's any problem with that. Yeah. Now with error root. At the, at the sort of the, the pillar, I guess, talk about some of the structure there that you bring to the table or what you're offering in, in, uh, in either support or the approach to advising.
0: Yeah, that's a good question, Larry. You know, I say, because we are such big believers in technology, it's allowed us to become more efficient uh, with how we operate. Just to give an example, and I'm big on estate planning because I think it's a great, way to uh, provide for the many needs of a family. I call it our family office level of care. So for the more simple estate planning um, uh, type of services, there's a great technology called trust and will. And I speak to a lot of accounting professionals who deal with a lot of everyday families out there and, and, they have a, a digital platform where you can do a trust for as little as five hundred ninety nine dollars, a will for one hundred and fifty nine dollars. So it's really taking that extra effort, and then you can connect generations uh, as well. Um, to because I think uh, for a lot of accounting professionals and CPAs that I work with, you know, they get clients early on, so they help them form businesses, and you know, many times these people don't have assets, so it's not like. A lot of the RIA business where they're high-income earners or have assets to invest, they're starting that process early on with that client. And that's why I'm such a big believer in behavioral finance, the human side of advice, the psychology of money. If we can get those people early on, those early business owners, and give them good habits to help them understand maybe their relationship to money matter, how they can make better decisions when it comes to their financial choices – I think that just pays dividends down the road. And I don't know if we do enough, a good enough job in the wealth management space of helping out those, maybe those people in their, their twenties or early thirties, because I mean, look, it's a lack of incentive on our part, right. As far as alignment goes Mm -hmm. uh, and and fees and assets in our management.
1: You know, this, again, you have experience where I don't have experience in this, but, I started out my career as a life insurance agent, and it was fascinating to me as a young kid that within just a few minutes of talking to somebody, we have to ask about whether or not they've had any felonies, or whether or not they have any sexually transmitted diseases, or family history of cancer. <laughs> I mean, it's so personal and so you know, it felt so invasive. Yeah. Um, but but you you just literally get right into the into the business end of knowing all the details about these people.
0: We have such and, intimate know, I, knowledge of people's finances.
1: Yeah, I guess, I mean, it's similar because the CPA knows, you know, where the interest credits are coming from and what the, you know, can glean from that, maybe what kind of capital the person has. But really, generally speaking, the the first relationships, you're not providing a balance sheet to your CPA. You're just providing your W-2 and your maybe your Schedule C information, expenses and, and, and losses. So how do you think that, generally speaking, you make that turn into being that trusted advisor? Because I know the CPAs
0: are. When does that happen? Do you think for the accounting professional part? Yeah, the accounting, accounting professional. So I mean, I, it's it's baked in the the profession. That's why I love it so much because they have that trust. So what takes probably you and I, Larry, for a regular wealth management client and try to get a prospect to become a client may take six or seven, uh, you know, interviews, touch points. That trust for that CPA, that accounting professional's already built in. So it's that's fantastic. I talk about. How the accounting profession has an ability to go from most trusted advisor to m- most transformational advisor. So helping people realize their dreams through growing their business, you know, creating a you know nest egg down the road. And so I don't it, the trust factor really doesn't come into play when it comes to these CPA and accounting clients. What they're very much afraid of or have a difficulty doing is more of the human side, the relationship aspect of uh, communicating. I had a great uh, interview with a a podcast guest. Her name's Sue Inquest. She was the head softball coach at UCLA. She's a disciple of John Wooden. And she said, Rory, there's two levers in culture. One is uh, cultures are performance driven as well as relationship driven. And the accounting profession uh, specifically are really good at the performance aspect of things, deliverables, KPIs, meeting tax deadlines. What they struggle with more is the relationship side. And, Communicating, understanding—you know—more of the client's values, their goals. So, the softer, more personal skills. So, I'm really—that's why I'm really passionate about helping them develop those skills, so they can provide more value to clients because they already have that trust. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just a huge opportunity. I
1: wonder if it, if that happens because in a CPA relationship, let's say traditional CPA relationship, um, a client comes in with the ex- Expectation that they are certified by somebody to certify public account, and that they're in the role of really adding up numbers and and delivering what the what is required of them, as opposed to a little more discretionary advice, because there are guardrails, and so there is just this expectation that you know what you're doing, as opposed to some of the financial advisory. Because oh my gosh, the financial (laughs) advice. Uh, hat can be as wide as a sombrero or as uh, small as a yarmulke, depending yeah. on what, you, what what you've called yourself or what channel you've been brought up to. But as yeah. CPA, it's it's very defined, and we know what that is. And so um, that'd be an interesting just thing to explore with uh, people or or clients or something. But no, I get it. It's a very trusted profession. So in in your role, then are you um, advocating that you know a, a CPA firm that is? let's say going through that transition or is looking for maybe sees an opportunity where they just continue to refer money out. Cause that's what was happening with this other person I, I re- interviewed recently where, you know, this the CPA practice had been in a certain part of town for a good amount of time. And mm-hmm. as those clients got older and they sold their businesses, they have a large monetary event that the CPA <laughs> helps with the taxation and maybe the structure of the sale and then five million or ten million or fifteen million dollars gets handed off to the wealth manager, <laughs> uh, and and that basically was just a tremendous amount of revenue leaving the door and they just it there. It there. So is that yeah. that's kind of your, that's kind of the target or the the main story to talk about.
0: Yeah, I am writing an article. It should be coming out shortly called the CPA flywheel effect, and. I talk about how we need to have a death of the referral model. So forever in the accounting profession, they talk about the death of the timesheet because you can't scale time, right? If someone's buying your time in hourly, that's not a way to operate. How can you be efficient? You know, if you're billing someone by time, you, you know, that works against uh, you know, your motive to do things quickly. So there's been this huge shift to value-based pricing. Um, And so they call it the death of the timesheet. I think that we need to have depth of the referral model as we move into this integrated solution because, like you said, that relationship, you know, if you're referring that business out, that $10 to $20 million client is worth a lot of money in RIA revenue. And you just yeah. let that go out the door. So I, you know, I say you can bring it in-house, you can start your own RIA within your firm, or you can partner up. Get, take a Series 65, become an AIR, someone like Arrowroot, another or layer of your firm. So, you know, I think that's an opportunity to, to make it a relationship instead of a referral. And yeah. well, let, and let me be I'll, clear our, our,
1: our firm is actually looking for relationships with other RIAs. That's
0: that, right. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's,
1: that is um, based on our wealth management structure because, and I, I thought about that's this right. before we started talking today that. You know, we've we've developed a synthetic equity structure that allows us to get exposure to markets, but we do it while we have you know eighty five to ninety five percent of the client's portfolio right. is in treas- is in treasuries, right. and we're able to dial up or down the other 10, uh, five to fifteen percent in a very volatile component that actually can drive the whole portfolio. But we do this because we've we've dec- decided or sort of learned that more traditional asset allocation maybe just can't give us the same kind of risk metrics and controls yes. and I, I, i'm i'm fascinated by this angle of working with cpa firms because it's it really i think would be really aligned well because it allows for just that that possibility of sort of uh, uncapped or unlimited upside potential with a very defined drawdown so yeah, to the extent I mean, that if you look at the profile of the
0: CPA, that might resonate well
1: <laughs> yeah well I mean it really it should resonate with most people, but particularly yeah, in the accounting particular. industry, but the idea is that if there's you know a listener who is a CPA or a listener that's an RIA, there is a uh, firm out there, Arrowwood family Arrowwood family office that's interested in helping you develop this. And that there's an opportunity to work together potentially uh, on a number of fronts.
0: So yeah. now you have, um, did we talk about, you have a book coming out? Is that correct? Yeah. So I've had so many great people on the podcast, Larry, Uh, some Titans in the profession on the accounting side, as well as wealth management side. I've had the fortunate ability to interview wall street journal, Forbes uh, accounting today and, and fortune magazine, a bunch of publications. So, I decided I needed to put together a book and have co-authors write chapters or write partial chapters to really bring this virtual family office or this holistic wealth management model um, to the accounting profession. Because as we both know, accountant CPAs like how-tos, they like guides, they want checklists. Sure. So I decided to put together the book with 24 luminaries uh, who Uh, understand what I'm doing and, and uh, see the future of advice being holistic and really integrating these services in a collaborative, authentic way, leveraging the behavioral finance aspect of it, helping people communicate with their clients, helping them uncover values. Um, I did some, I did another uh, podcast with probably my favorite podcast, Larry was with uh, Dr. Hal Hirschfield, who's the professor at UCLA and he is the foremost authority uh, on this concept of your future self. And the research shows that we're, we see our future selves as no different than a stranger. And so we don't necessarily make choices or decisions for that future self. And the way to, to, to change that is he talks about painting a vivid visual picture of that future self. Uh, So we can start making choices here now uh, for that person. So I'm fascinated by ways that we can think differently, make better decisions when it comes to our finances, but also make better decisions when it comes to life in our, in our podcast episode as well. He cited research done by Dan Gilbert from Harvard, who's the head of psychology. He talks about this concept called the end of history illusion. And he says that we believe that we've changed a whole lot in the past. So as a teenager, someone in our 20s, some in our, in our 30s, we've changed a whole bunch, but we believe that we've kind of grown as much as we, we, ha- we, we will, and we won't grow that much in the future. And I found it fascinating, Larry, that all the research shows that we will grow just as much as we have in the past maybe even more. So for me, I'm in my 40s. I just got in my 40s growing, you know, I'll grow just as much as it did from 20 to 30 as I will in 40 to 50. So I think that outlook, I kind of went off my behavioral finance tangent, uh, but I'm passionate about it. I think that outlook is something to be optimistic about, saying that, oh my gosh, we can change. Um, and there's opportunity to start over in life if you need to. Um, so, you know, I'm fascinated by, by that and how we make decisions today may not necessarily make sense for that future person. So it's just some things to to potentially think about.
1: Yeah, two things. I think uh, Colonel Sanders is an excellent um, sort of sample of that future self. And there's never it's never too late to start. I think he didn't yeah. even get going in this until his 70s or something. But I'm- Brian I'm
0: Cranston was later in life, I think. Or yeah. some, Harrison Ford, It's one of those actors.
1: One of those, yeah. Do you find that like every person is open to this, or do you get like pushback sometimes when you sort of get into the? I wouldn't call it touchy feely is to California kind of style, but <laughs> you know, you are trying to get in touch with emotions and planning and thoughts, and not just you know what. Yeah, it might take
0: watch. a second or two, but overall, it resonates with people. Mm. Because I t- also had Doctor Chrissy Archerletta on, who is the pioneer when it comes to financial therapy, she started the Financial Therapy Association. She says, Rory, people don't ask themselves what money means to them. Mm -hmm. We rarely have that introspection. Our relationship to money is formed early in our childhood. And we just don't think about what our relationship towards money is. And so I think if we can help people uncover what matters most, they say that our values shape our goals, our goals shape our behaviors. And in turn, our behaviors reflect, reflect our values. I also interviewed another thought leader, Brendan Frazier, and he says that goals shift, but values persist. So I think mm-hmm. when we help people uncover what matters most to them to live like a, to live a meaningful life, uh, that is extremely uh, powerful um, because many times they really haven't thought about it or put pen to paper on what they they care most about in life.
1: Yeah, well, certainly keeping people on track too when it comes to investing right. or goal tracking, if you're able to point out, you know, has this changed or is this is this six-week period going right. to substantially disrupt what the main goal is, then that could certainly be helpful in trying to get people back on track. Yeah. Um, I,
0: I think that's table stakes now though, Larry. I think because of technology, we can kind of keep people on track and tell them where they're at, but I think if we anchor with our, you know, more important stuff like values, yeah. you know, we're a whole lot more effective in getting people mm-hmm. to stay on track and making those right. necessary behavior changes.
1: And in your role with the firm, um, what, or what would you describe your day-to-day role? <laughs> in? You've, got the, you've, got a, you've got the podcast, I know that takes yeah, a Yeah, I'm, quick, a, I'm a the director time.
0: here, so I'm championing the cause. You know, I, I'm out there talking about this model, do work with the advisors here, but, I, you know, I'm more inspirational than anything. And, you know, I see an opportunity we can go in the the whole uh, brand identity or unique selling proposition. I, I believe that with social media, you know, with the ability to get your message out, finding a niche, uh, having a personal brand, I think there's just tremendous opportunity for us as financial advisors or CPAs to get your message out there in a unique and authentic way. Because with social media, with with what we see on some of those apps there's a lot of junk out there for lack of a better words, for lack of a better word. So I think if we can provide resources to people out there to help them grow their businesses, help them grow their wealth, their personal finances, uh, I think that is of value. So, you know, I'm a big believer in helping other advisors out there, help them get their message out. We have a, a digital marketing and branding arm of what we do here as well, help people do podcasts. And so, you know, I'm, I'm also big on that. And so promoting the model really, and then, then helping other advisors and CPAs, you know, hone their brand and their message, and get their voice out there.
1: Yeah. And that's actually, you know, it's almost educational, but that's a, that's the passion that you have is basically uh, touching more lives and, and yeah. helping those people glean more out of the experience. Yeah. So anything that you'd like to discuss that we haven't talked or a question? Yeah. You we know, you think I should have asked.
0: Huh? that's a, that's a good question. I don't think so, Larry. I think we covered quite a bit. Um, Yeah.
1: Well, fair enough. Rory, Henry, uh, he's with AFO Wealth Management Forward Podcast and also uh, our family office. And is there a place where people can reach you or some sort of website direction?
0: Yeah. So we have a couple of sites. I just launched the book. And if you want to sign up for newsletters or Information on it, it's adviseroar.com, So I, trademark, I trademarked Advise Roar. So it's A-D-V-I-S-R-O-R. And the Roar's capitalizes for return on relationships. So you can get information about the book there. We also have wealthmanagementforward.com. So if you're interested in, you know, branding, getting your message out, uh, website help, we can help with that. Um, and then airrootfamilyoffice.com is our, is our main site as well. Exactly. Well,
1: I appreciate the time today and wish you well in uh, helping those CPAs and others uh, get the mission across for the clients.
0: Thank you so much, Larry. Appreciate it. This interview also may contain statements that constitute endorsements of measured risk portfolios, also known as MRP. Please note that any such statements are not made by clients of MRP, but by representatives of other investment advisory firms that work with MRP. No compensation was offered or given in exchange for these statements. However, a conflict of interest exists due to the incentive to give an endorsement in the interest of a good future working relationship between the endorser and MRP.